before we get into that extraordinary gospel. This is the octave of Christmas, so in the preface, in particular, you'll see that we're still praying as if it were Christmas Day. So the octave ends on January 1. We have eight days of really celebrating. Um, at the Abbey, you'd find all the incense, all three incenses and all the things we did at Christmas every day of the week. Uh, so, so we're going to go on a Passover journey with the Holy Family. And we have to understand how this could possibly happen, that they would lose Jesus like this. It sounds it's, it's hard to conceive that they would go so far without knowing where he was. The, the families, um, in Judaism, you were required to go up to uh, Jerusalem three times a year, according to the law, and the rabbis of Jesus' era had commuted that to one. So it was, it was expected that at one of three, you know, uh, Feast of Booze is one of them, and this is another, that people would come. So many in the town would, would have a caravan, and then they would go together, and it was a, a joyous thing in which they would share and, and move from, from group to group, and there would be, you know, um, tents going along, and it would take a couple of days, so they would have, uh, they would have um, you know, places to stay and things. They would, they would set up camp in places, and this is what they did. So at the age of Jesus is 12, so in that era, this is considered already a young, young man. See, they normally get married, as we heard from Mary, at 15 or 16. So, so Jesus at that age would be probably with, with the guys, and uh, that would be the normal thing. And even uh, at least uh, Orthodox Judaism still has men on one side and women on the other. And sometimes women in the balcony and men down below, but they're always separated. You saw that the Wailing Wall, I think they finally changed that, actually, in which you have men here and women here. So Jesus would have been with the men. And uh, uh, as a rule, so that when they went up there, they stayed for a number of days. And you may remember, we're looking at uh, 21 years later, Jesus will be crucified in that same uh, road that they took on this caravan. One wonders, as God, if he knew this, there's only a couple of main entrances to the city through the city walls. They put Jesus right there on purpose so everybody would see him. So this is Jesus' future. So what we have here is all the, the, the Son of God, Almighty God, through whom all things were created in the body of a 12-year-old. Think about, think about raising somebody like that for a moment, you know? Um, so... When they're going home, Joseph probably, being not with Mary, he was probably with, with the men, and he assumed that, that Jesus was with his mother, and his mother assumed he was with um, Joseph and the men. And at some point, when they camped that evening, stopped for the night, uh, that's when they realized they start looking in both camps and finding Jesus is not there. So in a panic, of course, they rush back, probably at night, to find Jesus. The, one of the first questions uh, I always ask is why didn't they know where to look? Uh, you'd think the first place they'd go was the temple. They probably did. Jesus probably went in and out of different buildings. Um, one thing we can say for certain is Jesus did this on purpose. And uh, uh, one of the mysteries to me is if I did this, I would have got, well, at 12 years old, I wouldn't have got paddled, but I certainly would have had. Uh, in my era, that's what we did. These days, I guess that's illegal. But um, <laughs> uh, something bad would have happened to me, and I would never have done it again. Yet Jesus cannot commit a sin. Maybe this is one of the reasons his parents couldn't understand what he was talking about. 
or why he did what he did to them. So Jesus then hides himself. So first of all, Jesus deliberately stays behind without telling his parents, which would worry anybody to death. I remember I was in college already, I think third, third fourth college, and I, I spent, I was up till like three or four in the morning talking with somebody, a couple of people at a coffee shop. I, I'd never do that now. I might stay up three or four in the morning because I can't sleep, you know. And I came in and my parents were ready to call the police. <laughs> I, and I was already 20, 21, but, you know, I was still living at home. And uh, this is the kind of thing that Jesus did to them. And so he did it deliberately. Then when they went back to find him, he deliberately hides for three days. He knows darn well they're looking for him. He knows they're going to look in the temple first. That's the first place. If Jesus is lost, he's going to go to the temple area. The temple, incidentally, is under construction at this time. This is uh, 20 years. It's a 40-year project. It had just been completed when Jesus began his ministry. So it's about one-fourth one of the way up, like our building w- would have been. So Jesus is, around him is the old temple, which was right inside of the building, and inside they were outside they were putting up the new limestone bricks that way they could keep worshiping in the old temple which is why it exploded when they when it went on fire 40 years after Jesus died so he's looking at the temple being constructed you know what's going through his mind already and when Jesus is talking with the with the elders they're impressed with him but look at look at his technique he's asking questions and Jesus continues to answer questions with questions this is uh, his technique, and when we pray to him, we're on pilgrimage, so when we pray to him, oftentimes we get more questions than answers as a result of our prayers. Either, God, why did God answer this prayer this way? Why didn't he answer it this way? The more, Like science, the more you learn, the more questions you have. And this is the way the world is. God, Jesus, being God, is teaching us that you cannot have all your questions answered on earth. We're not here to have all our questions answered. The scriptures are very clear. They teach us how to live, how to believe, um, who to have faith in, to have trust in trials. They're not there to answer the questions of everything that's coming in the next world. That comes the moment we die. We see everything, but then this time is over. The time of faith, once we see, it's too late. You can't, you can't play the stock market uh, after you... Uh, you can't go back in time and play the stock market once you've seen the results. It's over. You can use any analogy you want, but we have to play the game before we know the answers. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's being a little bit cagey, but he's also showing an enormous amount of intelligence. So it reminds me a little bit about, there's one of my favorite Marian shrines, Submitted so many of them is in Borang, uh, B-A-U-R-A-N-G, not Boring, but Borang, Belgium. And there, Our Lady of the Golden Heart. It's a very obscure uh, uh, Marian shrine, but but fully approved by the church. One of the one of the great approved ones. And there, she she um, she asked one question, which I won't go into, but it, she said to them, "If do you love me? Do you love my son? Then make sacrifices for me." That one really got me. And the other one that she said was, I, the Lord wants you to come on pilgrimage here. And she didn't mean we all have to go to Belgium, but we're all on a life 
pilgrimage. When you come to church, you've come on pilgrimage for an hour. When you pray, you're on pilgrimage all the way to heaven. Uh, and when we do an act of charity, we've gone on pilgrimage for perhaps an angel without, without seeing one. So we're on pilgrimage with Jesus. He's teaching us this is the only window that we have from the Lord's infancy to the wedding of Cana when he begins his ministry. Why do the scriptures open this particular story to us? Because it's so relevant to our personal lives. Jesus um, is found by Mary. I've, every time this reading comes up, I, I think of this. I, I always do it. I, you know, we picture Jesus. I'm afraid to come out here. I trip over this cow. Or that darn cow has feet sticking out. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, when they find Jesus, Mary, uh, you know, Mary, God God loved them. We think that Mary and Joseph had visions of angels, you know, guiding them. They didn't know where to look. I don't think the angels were constantly talking to Mary. I think they lived normal human lives. They may have had an extraordinary beginning. Many of us did, right? When we're dating somebody, the stars are going off. And afterwards, you've got, to live, you've got to live your life. The priesthood was like that with me. You know, you have a lot of signs and wonders, things like that, and then you settle it onto a normal life. So they don't know where to look. And Jesus, um, pardon me, he, they finally find him. No angel guided them, no GPS, no nothing. So Mary, I, I, she's a Jewish mother. I've known a couple of... Jewish families growing up, you know, uh, she didn't always, we picture her, son, why did you do this to us? Well, after all, she is the Immaculate Conception. You always see her in statues like this. Jesus, why did you do this to us? Your father and I, your father and I, your father and I have been looking for you for three days. Why did you do this to us? You think she didn't say it that way? That's not a sin, you know. And then what does Jesus say? He's a 12-year-old boy, right? He doesn't have all... Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. He had to grow in human wisdom, not, not divine wisdom. He's got a limited brain. He gave up his omniscience while he was on earth. He had, you might say, an internet connection to God, but as a human brain, he was limited. He had to grow like we did. He's answering like a 12-year-old child. And he has a little bit, a lack of finesse here. He says, well, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Maybe he didn't say it quite like that. But, um, and I've said this before, but I always think of poor Joseph. Uh, You know, I was raised by my grandparents, and uh, I knew my father all my life, but it just ended up, I stayed with them. And uh, uh, so... If I had even once said to my grandfather, I raised him almost from birth, you're not my real father, I don't have to listen to you. Can you imagine how much that would have hurt him? I never said a thing like that, and I never would. Uh, But Jesus did. And I'm sure Joseph was a little bit hurt by that. He didn't ask for the job. He didn't ask to be foster father of the Son of God. He wasn't immaculately conceived. He wasn't God. It must have been hard for him. He didn't know what to do to raise a child like this. He believed, and uh, he had to, in a way, he was put into his place a little bit. Uh, Joseph had to realize that Jesus had two fathers, and I think that's what they went home and pondered a little bit. Jesus, Joseph certainly went home and pondered it. What was Mary pondering? She knew he was the son of God. What was she pondering? 
She was pondering possibly the fact that, that they didn't know everything, that they'd had all these trials, that they had to go to Egypt for two years, that Kara tried to kill him, and she gave birth in a cave, and, and none of these things were predicted by the angel. And now they're going home, and Jesus, of course, the scripture make it very clear, he's going to be obedient to, uh, to them. So he puts himself under, under obedience to his parents. Almighty God. And in a sense, that's what he does here at Mass with us. When we have the celebration of the Eucharist, uh, I'm praying for all of us. I'm the one up front here. But when we say the, the uh, act of consecration, which he told us to do in memory of him, uh, we pray as he taught us to pray. And he said, this is my body, this is my blood. We call, he comes. He's obedient to us. And then he feeds us with his Eucharist, and he, and he teaches us like he taught them in the temple. And then he wants us to be obedient to him. So again, he's giving us a model, not just for children and parents, but for adults in the relationship with God. So we find in this extraordinary scripture, um, in essence, as we go back on pilgrimage, life is one pilgrimage after the other. We're on what, the whole thing is one big journey, but in between we have these side trips, shore leave, whatever you want to call it. And in the midst of all that, we're here to learn something. Always we're here to learn something. We're not here just to have pleasure. That's the next world. We have lots of pleasure. Jesus enjoyed himself too. He was often seen, uh, you know, at, at having dinners with people and, and, and enjoying his, the company of his family. And, and at the wedding, we see little glimpses of what, what his personal life was like. But uh, when we pray, we talk to God, we ask him questions. He'll answer us either directly through our, our conscience of the church or uh, an insight from God or our, our guardian angel or through, through life, through other people. He might say no. He might say not yet. He might say nothing. But what's the significance of searching for him for three days? Why three days? Think about it for a second. Why three days? What does it mean? On the third day, he rose from the dead. We have to look for him for three days. We have to be without Christ. Each of us, at some point in our lives, have to have a moment when Christ, it seems as though perhaps he died or abandoned us or left us or something. Three days, of course, is symbolic for a certain period of time. But for th it was literally three days that Jesus left and, we, and Mary Magdalene searched, and John searched. They couldn't find the body. They searched, and they found him in disguise. So Jesus is giving us this wonderful image of prayer, of life, and also that our Lord is often going to give us more questions than answers while we live in this world, but we too are called to grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. When we finally start to get it all figured out, we have to go and let somebody else come in that doesn't know anything. You notice how that, how that is? It's, it, we have a limited time to search for God. And in the midst of it all, Mary and Joseph, in the end, come home, they haven't understood everything. We, we see it because we're reading it, we're reading it in the future, but they're, they're living it. He's only 12 years old. They really don't know what's going to happen, and they have to go home and ponder. Jesus really has God as his father. God, this means he is God. It comes home to them. Who is this that we're dealing with here? 
He was a very ordinary boy. Nobody in town knew who he was. That's why uh, when he started teaching there, they, you know, they asked the question, um, who is this, this carpenter coming in here and talking like he's a, he's a learned rabbi? So Jesus hides among us. He uh, allows himself to be found periodically, and he will ask us questions. He expects it to go on pilgrimage for him. He has a plan for us. He deliberately hides at times. When we do find him, he said, didn't you know where to look? Didn't you know I was always in the temple? Your heart, your church, the world, I never left you. I just wanted you to look for me. To seek is to grow. To lose is to love if we search for the person that we loved. There's an infinite number of insights if you go into this, go into the depths of your own personal search for God, a question that we can't answer, a reason why God may seem to have left you at some point in your life. We have to ask these questions of God. He's not afraid to have us ask that. He may not completely answer it in this world. Um, so this, this period, that, this window, this curtain that opens, and it's a very long passage, is meant to really give us a great deal of insight of our Lord as we too, like him, grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men.